Hey everybody, welcome to Three Drinks In, a podcast where we don't even start talking until the third drink is in front of us. Because we all know, the third drink in is that magical point where truth and wisdom come together. So here we go. What's up, people? Hey, thanks for tuning in to Three Drinks In. If you're new to this podcast, every episode features a conversation with me, Billy Bob Jumpback Jr., and my neighbor, Jerry. Together we will explore some arcane avenue of our musical tastes, but not before we sample a couple of adult beverages and unwind our collective brain trust. Hey, be sure to stick around for the end credits as I reveal the secret identity of this episode's awesome guest star. So just sit back and relax as we tackle this week's topic. On today's episode, we're going to paraphrase Paul Simon a little bit, and instead of looking back at all the crap they taught us in high school, we're going to look back at some of that crappy music we heard in our high school senior year. That maybe isn't quite that crappy anymore. So sit back and enjoy. I look down the bar at the bartender. So what do you want, Johnny? One bourbon, one scotch, and one bill. We are at El Bate House, and boys and girls, we have hit beer number three. This is Billy Bob Jumpback Jr. I'm here with my co-host, Jerry. Jerry. <laughs> Jerry's here. <laughs> Jerry, what are you drinking today? I'm drinking the uh, Capital Gold. Capital Gold. It's a lager. Yeah, and I am drinking, it is the Clock House Coffee Porter. So anyway, the whole concept of this show is to sit and talk about music. Jerry and I have been talking about music for several years because Jerry is a retired educator, and as luck would have it, so on. The topic for today is, what are the three songs from the year you graduated high school, your high school senior year, three, I don't know, songs that stand out to you. I was going to say most important songs, but that's not quite right because, as my wife put it, I made my list up, I showed it to her, she goes, were those songs that you liked in high school? I said, no, no, they really aren't. They're they're songs that I didn't really appreciate until I grew older. So that's kind of what we're looking at. But what are the songs I look back on the year of 1975 when I graduated and I say, those are the three songs that I can pull out and say, yeah, those are the ones that I like. How about you, Jerry? Well, I graduated, I graduated in 1972, so when you posed the question to me, I had to stop and think about what my favorite songs were, and I had several that came to mind, but what my favorite songs are today right. were not necessarily the same favorite songs in 1972. Exactly. exactly. Uh, Give me the example you were talking about earlier. So, The Horse With No Name yeah. was a popular song in 1972 America. by America, and when I pulled up the Billboard 100, top 100 songs, and I kind of went through it, just trying to freshen up my memory. Would that be 71 or 72? 72. Okay. Um, there were a number of songs that I clearly remember listening to that were very popular on the radio, but they weren't my favorites. Well, in 72 even, I'm, I'm going to pull away here, in 72 even though, FM radio was pretty new. Uh, 
I don't remember listening to yeah, FM radio. You and I were listening to AM school. radio yeah. pretty much when we were in high school. Well, in <clears throat> a little bit in Des Moines, I had KFMG, I think it was. And I, I lived in a small town, or in the country outside a small town, an hour from Omaha, an hour and a half, two hours from Des Moines, two and a half hours from Kansas City. My rock and roll music that I listened to came out of Kansas City on the local radio stations all played country music. And, uh, and we were talking about that before, and that's, that's something that I was, I was telling you that was a huge influence on me because I had, growing up just outside Des Moines, I had country music on the radio 24-7, it seemed like, whether I was in a car, whether I was at home. The only time I didn't have that's 10 o'clock at night when I would go to bed and I'd pull up uh, K-A-A-Y, Little Rock, Arkansas, and listen to some rock and roll, some underground rock and roll. Or if I was playing my own music on my on my record player, my stereo, you know, and then that was different. But uh, yeah, I was I was listening to Marty Robbins and uh, Merle Haggard and Johnny Cash, all those guys, all the classics. But that's not something you tuned into that much. No, and and I remember listening to like the Everly Brothers and Johnny Cash. And the Everly Brothers were a local band from Shenandoah, which was sure. the, the radio station. So for me, some of the songs that were really big and popular in 71, 72, are some classics. But at the time, I didn't realize they were classics at that time. Sure. For instance, like uh, Derek and the Dominoes, Layla. Great song. And I have more appreciation for that song now yeah. than I did at that time. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm not asking you if that's one of your top three songs yet. It's, it's not. Okay. Because it wouldn't have made my radar back in 72. <clears throat> and another thing that you and I talked about was that a song like Layla, for instance, at the time we were hearing it on AM radio, it was like every fifth song came on was that song, and you just get tired of that yeah. song. So what did it take for you to be moved by a song enough to put it on your top three list? Well, for me, as I reflected back to the time and as I mentioned to you earlier we were just having a conversation right. about laying on the living room floor with my mom and dad's old stereo console that was six feet long the speakers on each end and the turntable was in the middle you lit, you lit up and put your album on um, one of the songs I remember that I enjoyed so much was Rare and I just want to celebrate. That was a great song. And I can remember laying on the floor and listening to that album. Rare Earth was kind of a R&B big band almost at that point, you mm -hmm. know, from, from what I can remember. Yeah. And we were, we were talking about this earlier too, but I remember uh, Get Ready was the one that caught me. Yes. I had an art teacher that would play that. We could play the radio in, in art class. And that's the only class we could ever play the radio in. I, I can remember being in there. I got so creative listening to music in an art class. You know, it just it just boiled up in me, and I was able to come up with some different things that I liked an awful lot, artistically speaking, from a you know paint and, and silversmith and stuff like that perspective. It had to be influenced by the music I was listening to. Oh, yeah. So, Rare Earth, Get Ready, man. That was just such a great song. It was a remake of somebody's great hit. I can't remember who it was. Well, it's funny that you mentioned your art teacher because as I think back to my high school 
The only person who ever played music in the classroom was the art teacher. Yeah. And it probably lent itself to the topic or the subject, you know, that you could be on task. Yeah, right, music in right. the background. Yeah, it was, it was a perfect place for that to happen. Rare Earth would be one of my three. And I'm not going to rank my right. top three in one, two, three. So Rare Earth, the group, song being Celebrate? I just want to celebrate. I just want to celebrate. Because it was a great song. And uh, it just moved me. You know, it felt good to listen to that. You made know, you want to move, didn't it? It did. And, and <laughs> you know, for a kid who had a country background, it was sure. totally different. It, oh, it, it got you fired up and yeah, you wanted yeah. to do something with that yeah. music. Well, that's cool. All right. Yeah, so that, that would be one. How about you? From 1975. From the graduating class of 75, I only pulled up songs from uh, albums that came out in 75. I didn't really put my head together and think about 74, 75 being the whole year because I probably spent a lot more time in 74 than I did in 75, but I graduated in 75, so that's the year I'm going I'm to work with. So I came up with three pretty strong songs that I'm going to stick with. I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, the first song that I picked that has been most influential to me is Backstreet by Bruce Springsteen. It came off the Born to Run album in 1975. Something first that summoned me and Jerry became friends Trying in vain to breathe the fire we was born in Catching rides to the outskirts time Fate between our teeth Sleeping in that old abandoned beach house Getting wasted in the heat Springsteen's music has had such a profound effect upon me as a listener and as an appreciator of art. But really, it's it's helped me an awful lot do things like, uh, it, it just applies to my life. And almost all the songs that I hear him playing, there's something I can look at and go, oh, yeah, I get that, I've been there, I understand that, I, I know what you're saying. So his music in general, but 1975, Born to Run came out. And the easy thing to do would be take Born to Run because... All the songs on that album work, but Backstreet's is the one on that album that really stands out to me. It just breaks my heart every time I listen to it. And and I think in 75, I had a lot of broken hearts. Really? And so, I, not necessarily romantically, just you're coming out of high school, you don't know what you're doing, you know, you don't know where you're going, and you've had some, you know, there were some romantic broken hearts oh, involved yeah. with that too. So, as I look back on that now, it just seems to apply pretty well. And so, I feel pretty good about picking Backstreet's. Springsteen, especially. So, wow. that's a great album. Yeah, it is. I was in college and living on Grover, Grover Street in Warrensburg, Missouri, and I played the crap out of that album. <laughs> I mean, um, I think I've told you this story before, but I came into that album as a graduating senior out of Iowa State University, um, my senior year up there. Well, before that, when I was still living in the dorm, so it was probably my junior year, the guy that lived next door to me, he and I, on every Friday or Saturday night, whenever we'd get back from the bars, we'd, we'd sit down and we'd just listen to music sitting out in the hallway and see who could have the loudest music until he told us to turn it down. <laughs> but uh, I'd be 
I'd be doing this, I'd be doing, I'd be playing something, and he'd be playing something else, and neither of us could understand what the other guy was saying. We finally decided we sounded like Springsteen singing Born to Run, so we decided we'd just sing Born to Run. We couldn't understand any of the words of the lyrics, but we understood, baby, we were born to run, so we'd, at every party, we were just Springsteen and come on, yeah, 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 runaway American dream, <laughs> and we get to the middle, baby, we were born to run. So my graduation party, my senior year, I made it a point to be able to know every word in that song. So I went out and bought Born to Run. And I had had the opportunity to see Springsteen that same year. And I'm like, wait, this is something more than I thought it was. And so I just, I started reading the lyrics and realized what a poet he was and how the music really impacted me. And all of a sudden it was like, uh, I got to hear more of this guy, you know. And, and so I've, I've seen him 10 times in concert, so... That's not much compared to most Springsteen fans, but pretty good for a kid in the middle of Iowa. Oh, 10, ten sounds like a lot. And, <laughs> and fortunately, I think I was with you on your 10th. You were you with me on my 10th. Yeah, yeah, that was great. That was a great that show. That was great. We'll have to go and see him again. You stood for the entire show and sang the lyrics for every song that night, if I remember correctly. I believe, I believe you're correct. So, And the yeah, fact that I was still standing was pretty good. So. Yeah. It's a nice segue into my number two song, uh, or my second song, not number two necessarily, but you talked about how he was such a poet right? and, and uh, what the lyrics meant to you. So for me, and I didn't realize it at the time, but Jackson Brown, mm -hmm. 1972, mm -hmm. Doctor of My Doctor, my eyes have seen the years And the slow parade of fears without crying Now I want to understand I have done all that I could To see the evil and the good without hiding You must help me if you can Doctor, my Was his first hit. Now he wrote "Take It Easy," right. which the Eagles made popular. But right. but uh, so a lot of people don't realize that that was his song. They were they uh, he lived with Glenn Fry in uh, Laurel Canyon, yeah, where all that music was happening yes. back in uh, that era. You know, Joni Mitchell was down the street. Yes, David Crosby was up the street. Yeah. Uh, Neil so, Young was around there. And, what yeah. a place to live, huh? Oh, my God. What a great place to be at that point in time. But, so, for me, Doctor of My Eyes. Doctor of My Eyes, yeah. Jackson Brown's first hit. Came out in 72. And I liked that song a lot then. And uh, it hasn't decreased in my... There's a lot of social import there. Oh, yeah. Uh, the lyrics uh -huh. struck a chord with me. And um, I became a big Jackson Brown fan. Saw him multiple times throughout the years, have probably most of his albums. And uh, my son, who's not that old, is named after Jackson Brown. Uh, when Katrina hit uh, New Orleans there. You're right. And President Bush didn't go, but he went on vacation to his Texas house. And then he did a flyover yeah. to see the damage yeah. on his way back to D.C. Yeah. And the song is Where Were You? Yeah. So Springsteen, <clears throat> since we're talking about him, did a song 
there was an old traditional R&B song out of a, out of the New Orleans area, out of the uh, Louisiana, Mississippi area, exactly. And he kind of reworded it as, how can a poor man live? And it was all about, it was all about the, the big people looking down on the little people. And so he reworded that and took it to the New Orleans Jazz Festival after uh, Katrina. And it was, it was during his tour with the uh, Seaver Session Band, which was completely off his chart mm-hmm. because it was all, it was mostly all, it was totally all acoustic, but it was, uh, it was tubas and accordions and this and that, but it was all, it was, it was basically taking Pete Seeger's songs as the driving force, but then social justice songs as, as the filler and, and as how can a poor man live in times like this. Well, and you know me, how much I love a good brass band. Oh, that's where you'd love that. Oh, so. my God. Yeah, yeah, New Orleans yeah. Jazz is the best. And that's, you should, you should get that Seeger Sessions and listen to that, because that's a good album for that. So, all right. So, okay. going to, let's see, that was song two for you. Again, not in rank and order by any means, but in 1975, a young artist came out with an album called Blood on the Tracks, and his name was Bob Dylan. And that was one of the best albums I've ever listened to. Bob Dylan was, this was basically his comeback album, they called it. And he had a song on there called Tangled Up in Blue that I cannot stop listening to, no matter whose version it is, no matter if I have to just keep pushing, repeat, repeat, repeat. I, I got to hear that song, and I, and I can't not sing along with it in my Bob Dylan voice and just go nuts but it's just such a beautiful example of what you can do with words and music and creativity early one morning the sun was shining I was laying in bed wondering if she'd changed it all if her hair was still red her folks they said our lives together sure was gonna be rough they never did like mama's homemade dress Papa's bank book wasn't big enough And I was standing on the side of the road Rain falling on my shoes Heading out for the east coast Lord knows I paid some dues Getting through Tangled up in blue This one didn't, this one wasn't any kind of a social statement or anything like that It was just a beautiful, beautiful piece of poetry piece of music And, uh and you know, people at some point were saying, "Well, Dylan's lost his muse; he's lost his touch." And from that point to this point, I think he's just gotten stronger. Because if I listen to some of his albums, and I used to call them recent albums, but now they're 15 years old, and some of the stuff he's doing now just tears me apart. Still, and the guy never stops touring. So, Tangled Up Blue is right up there in what I'm talking about because. You know, Dylan should be recognized for everything he's ever done, and this is just one of the many songs that tear up my seams when I hear it. Yeah, and it's a great song, and and I you have memories of that too, then. Well, I yeah, I remember it coming out. Yeah. And, and but what struck me is what you just said was early in his career, he'd been around for ten or fifteen years already by then. Oh yeah. But uh, but also like you said, it was his comeback. Mm-hmm. You know. His resurgence onto the scene. Yeah. But no, there. Uh, I, I think as I look back over the years for me, yeah. it's those artists whose 
lyrics and poetry strike a chord with me. Not right. so much the musical notes, wow. but the words. I gotta believe that's true too. I think it's I think it's words capture me, but if the melody if, it, if the music's not there, if the melody of the music's not there, it's hard to it's hard for me to listen to the words first. Yeah. So there has to be the, the good songwriters know how to combine those two things. But a song like Tangled Up in Blue, if uh, I mean, you could do that waltz, waltz time for me, and I'd still listen to it. You know, mm-hmm. somebody could do that in a different version of waltz time, and I would still listen to that song. So it's pretty incredible that the reason. I mean, I guess so. I'm contradicting myself here a little bit because it doesn't matter what kind of music you you're putting it to, but if the words are there, but I have to know the words for something has to catch me and pull me into the words. But that takes me back to a, a good question about what we're talking about too when you and I were growing up you you had LPs you had vinyl yes. and you had big old album covers that had lyrics inside of them yes. and I would never think of listening to music without sitting and reading the lyrics while yes. I'm doing it yes. every time for about the first ten times until I basically had them memorized exactly and that was what the cool thing was and, and back then the style that they, when they put together an album, yeah. it was a story. They would take a look at, or at least a lot of the artists would take a look at the songs that they mm-hmm. played mm-hmm. and the sequence they had right. and for the feel or the mood or right. the story that right. they were telling in that sequence of songs, even though the songs weren't necessarily right. connected to one another, right. but the mood that they created. And that's where producers came into play because... That, that's that's the job of the producer, and sometimes it was the artist himself that was producing that. But uh, that's the job of the producer is to sit and say, "Look, you got these thirty songs that you brought in that were recording. Let's figure out how to do this." And and to to take something, you know, just imagine Dylan coming in with thirty songs, or Springsteen, or yes. Jackson Brown coming in with thirty songs. Who you get, and, and especially somebody like Dylan, because by the time I'm talking about taking it up in blue, that guy's. The thing, you know, are you going to be the producer that comes in and says, Bob, you don't want that song? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you might not be the producer very long. <laughs> yeah. But somebody did that. And, and there are people that he's gone back to and worked with over and over again. So yeah. there are those people. And I think that'd be just the coolest job in the world. If you had the knowledge of how to do it yeah. and how to treat those people and, and how to work with them. You end up making them make the decisions you know are best for them. Exactly. But it's always going to be their decision. Yeah. But you figure out how to help them you make their own decision. Find a way to influence them to go right. down right. that road. All right. So we're, we're wow. ready to go into song number three here, Jerry. Sure. So the last song for me that made my last, the from top the three. senior year of 71, 72. 71, <laughs> 72. Graduating year of 72. Uh, a group named The Holly. Oh, yeah. I listen to that song as hard as I can, and I still can't understand what the hell it's about. Oh, it's, it's a drug bust or something, isn't it? Oh, I don't know about that. I guess I didn't. 
I didn't get that. It's just this woman. Oh, cool woman in a black dress. And that's all you think about is a long, cool woman in a black dress. Because if you think about a beautiful woman in a black dress, think of long, cool. I mean, she's tall. She's tall. She's got long legs. Yeah. I love long legs. Uh, there you go. I'm that guy. Long, cool and, woman in a and black dress. Sometimes she's a brunette. Sometimes she's a blonde. <laughs> Other times she's a redhead. All right. So now we're going to take this conversation into the place it's worth going to. Sometimes it's worth having a song and not looking at the lyrics. Yes. So don't. Let me tell you. Don't ever look at the lyrics to this song. Okay. Because. Uh, and it's a great song. It's a great song. And it's a great group. And do you know, it was not the lead singer, I don't believe. He was a guitar player and a backup singer. And I could be wrong. You know who was the backup singer? No. Probably on some songs he was lead singer. No. Graham Nash. Crosby says and Nash was from the Hollies. Well, I knew they had great harmonies. Yeah. That explains it. That explains it, doesn't it? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Graham Nash was one of the original members of the Hollies. Because he was in the Hollies before... Crosby, Stills, and Nash. Sure. Yeah, yeah. It would have been a short dump early. Yeah, so that could have been one of their last songs. No, the the harmonies and the beat on that song, and then just the imagery that that title created. You know, and what's you know, and for a high school senior boy, and a lot of people would say that the Hollies were a lot like the Beatles, but had better harmonies. Because they, I think they had more. Yeah. I think the Beatles were mixing two, maybe three. I think the, the Hollies probably had at least three, three. all yeah. the time. Yeah. But, no, it was long, long, cool woman they in had, black they dress. Had, yeah. You know, she could have been in a red dress, and it still wouldn't work. <laughs> it might have been better. So this is, this is a, yeah, uh, this is an 18-year-old senior in high school hearing a song and going, where is she? Where is that long, cool woman in a black dress? And do I have to go to England to find this one? Yeah, yeah no, no, that's... That I mean, those, those songs are all over the place, though, you know? Well, and that song, whenever I hear it still today, I just go, wow, that's a great song. It's just like, all of a sudden the head starts bopping yeah. and you're starting to yeah. move a little bit. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and so when I looked at that Billboard Top 100 songs from that year, and I'm going, and I saw that song, I said, oh, wow. Yeah, you know, and so I wrote it down. So that is my third song out of the twelve that I wrote down as I went through that. Um, I'm going to go ahead and waffle into my third song, and this is something you've probably never heard of. Um, Let me see, twelve songs I had written down here. I pulled out a song by the band, and if you like the band, oh, I do. You ever watch the Last Waltz? No. You, you need to you need to pull that up, or you need to borrow it from me at some point. The last waltz was their last concert as a group. It was done on Thanksgiving Day in nineteen seventy six, maybe. Or I say seventy six because I saw the theater in seventy seven. Scorsese produced it or, or directed it, brought this film together. But the band uh, did their last concert, so it was kind of like. Greatest hits thing, and they brought in Neil Diamond, Bob Dylan, sure. Joni Mitchell, all these Neil, uh, Neil Young, even Neil Diamond was there, but Neil Young, Muddy Waters was there. They had all these artists there to play a song or two, and it's just an incredible thing. But I didn't become, I didn't fall, I, I'd had a, a couple of albums by the band, but I didn't fall in love with them until I saw the last waltz on the big screen, and I just 
was entranced. And of course, I, I fell in love with him probably the year they broke apart. Sure. And so um, the song that comes to mind on that is not one of the more common songs. It's not the wave. It's not up on Cripple Creek. It's not the night that Girl Little Dixie down. It's a song and, called. And those are the songs uh, everybody yeah, knows by. It's a song that's called It Makes No Difference. sings this song is Rick Danko, their bass player, and he's got such a beautiful tenor um, that it's, it's just, it just breaks my heart every time I hear that song and I hear his voice. It's a song about broken hearts. It's all it. And for some reason, those are the songs that play most upon my soul. Sure. It's just songs about broken hearts and broken dreams and, you know, you got to get past it, you know, you got to get past it. And, and it's not about the courage to get past it necessarily. It's just about the fact that it's a, it doesn't, it just, it just doesn't make any difference. I just, I just can't, I can't do anything about this. But my God, it's such a beautiful song. I don't remember listening to him at the time. Right, that's the same thing with this one. In, you know, in '75, I wasn't listening to him. No. Two years later, I fell in love with him. I mean, I was. I take that back. I was listening. I did have. I had a couple of their albums. One of them was a live album. Really, really good album. Sure. It was one of the first albums I bought. I earned a paycheck. I went out and bought an album, and I bought that album. The band, I, I didn't know a lot about them at that time. Um, but over the years, I heard more and more of their music. Right. Leave on Helm. Oh, my oh God. Oh, my God. I've got several of his stuff. So that was, that was a big band that influenced me a lot. That song is the one where I had to sit down and go... I look, and that was off their studio album, Basement Tapes with Dylan. Really? I can't remember if that was it or if it was an uh, album from the Big Pink. I can't remember. But this is off one of their studio albums that was released in 75. And, uh, but, but I remember it from the last ones. Well, listen to you talk about that, that concert where they... Fed everybody and then set up the chairs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and talk about the long tables. Me immediately took me to a concert I saw in Kansas City at the Uptown Theater. Logger in the scene. That's a historic course. <laughs> oh yeah. Just before they broke up, my first wife and I had tickets, and we were. They had long tables butted up, perpendicular to yeah, the stage. Yeah, which is what they're talking about. We were on the last, last table on the left side of the stage. Right up by the speakers. <laughs> the speaker was, yes, it was right in front of us. And it, we were far enough left to walk a little bit of the view of the band. We could always see Logan in the ceiling. Yeah. Uh, they had terrific oh, too. What a great show. And be that close to the stage. And we were seated at a table. Uh-huh. You know, most concerts uh-huh. are good. And so they had waitresses that were serving us drinks. Oh, my God. It was a great show. 
That's great. That had to be about. So I love. Wow, that had to be about time you graduated. That was probably seventy-five or seventy-six. That sounds right. Now, Wagon and Messina, I probably got as many of their albums as I do anybody. Not everybody, because I got more Springsteen albums than anybody else. But of, of the vinyl LPs that I have yeah. in storage down in my basement that yeah. I never pull out, Wagon and Messina are right up there. And I didn't run into them until. Uh, Jim Messina is still making uh, records as a producer, and, and he played on one of Kenny Loggins' most recent records. They sat down together and played a song. Oh, really? It. Yeah, and I can't remember what that was, because Loggins hadn't put out a record for a long time, but he put one out, I'd say in the last three years, okay. and Messina sat in on one of those songs. No, their early stuff was great stuff. So I'm finding out it evidently does pay off to read some Rolling Stone stuff. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, their, their, their album Sitting In and Native oh, Sun. Native Sun. Oh, yeah. Sitting In is Yeah. Full Sale. That's the blue one. Full Sale. Full Sale is the Heave Yes. Yeah. Yes. And oh my gosh, that's good. The Heave is such a great song. There were so many great artists that came out of the 70s, early 70s. Well, to the point that even on serious radio where you could play anything you want to play, what do we keep hearing? 70s. 60s, 70s. Yep. Not 60s so much. You have to tune that in. But, but I mean, like the rock and roll 60s. Well, I, I go back on, on Sears Radio. I go back and forth between classic vinyl right. and classic rewind. Okay. The classic 25 rewind, and 26, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and classic rewind, the late 70s, early 80s the stuff hell? is good. When they get in the mid to late 80s. Yeah. It starts I, to lose focus. It, it just didn't strike me as, as good. But maybe it's because I was getting older and I just, well, you know. I think a big chunk of that is, yeah, you, you got, you're getting into parenthood and you start to drift away from the ability to sit and listen to a radio yeah. and extend yeah. time to get into the music. So, it's cool. But we'll get into other questions later. Okay. But, uh. Well, I think we're at 43 minutes, so we're probably. Yeah. We're, we're pretty, I'm going to go to 45 just to make it 45. Okay. So, uh, so, uh, yeah, so give me the, give me the, so some of the other songs that I was looking at. Just go top to bottom, what do you got? American Pie by Don McLean. (laughs) Lean on Me by Bill Wither. Horse with No Name by America. Rocket Man by Elton John. Layla by Derek and the Dominic. I can't not do that. Too Late to Turn Back Now by Cornelius Brothers and Sister Rose. Garden Party by Rick. Black and White by Three Dogs Night. Okay. Take It Easy by The Eagles. Uh-huh. And listen to the music by Doobie Brothers. But if you would have asked me, I would have said those were 73, 74. But that's just my mind. Maybe the albums came out late 72 yeah. and they've got 73 playtime. Here's my list. From top to bottom, the seven ones I had. Tangled Up in Blue by Bob Dylan. Miracles by The Starship. Yep. That, that song takes me back to my house on Grover Street. In our living room, we had a parachute drooped down over the room. Is this in college? Yeah, it was in college. That was my third year in college. Um, like, that's a great album. And then Backstreet's by Bruce Springsteen. Marshall Tucker Band, Can You See? Can't You See? Was that, what that, that was 75, yeah. Yeah, 75. See? Can't You See? Oh. Can't You See? What That, that Woman's? Oh, my God. Doing I, me. That was on my list. From 1975, that would have been one of my top three. And I had a chance, in fact, I did see them at Hilton Coliseum, and so it would have been my first year at Iowa State, 77. Uh, 
back when both the Caldwell boys were still alive. It was the original Marshall Tucker band. So the guy that tried to help me figure out the lyrics to Bruce Springsteen when we were playing our music in the hallway, uh-huh. he turned me on to Marshall Tucker. I'd never heard of him before, really. So I saw Marshall Tucker at the Ozark Music That's Festival. That's the festival I forgot to 1974. Talk about. Oh, I wish you had your T-shirt here. Oh, my God. <laughs> and they played on Sunday afternoon. What a show. And that's the original members back then. Oh, yeah, sure, 1974. Because yeah. both the Caldwell boys, kind of like the Allman Brothers band, you know. Yes. Dwayne Allman died in a motorcycle accident, then Barry Oakley died like two years later, almost the same corner on a motorcycle. And, and the Caldwell boys both died. Yeah. Unusually weird. Uh, so, can't see by Marshall Tucker. In 75, Lynn Durant came out with an album called Prisoner in Disguise. And there's a lot of good songs on there. Lots of good stuff. But my favorite one was Prisoner in Disguise. Another heartbreaker. Another one of those heartbreakers we got. And it, it almost made my top three list. It, it, was, it was a tough call. But, but because of the fact that, oh my God, I just lived through that so much back. You're sitting there waiting for a phone ring and it never rings. Oh, what a song. So you see that song. Yeah. Well, I saw, get this line, in it, uh, Royal Stadium? Kaufman? Kaufman is where yeah. the Royals play, yeah. yeah. So, it was the Eagles, Linda Ronstadt, and Willie Nelson for a 4th of July show. What a show. And and you're aware, at this point, might not have been at that point, you're aware that Glenn Fry and uh, Don Henley were her backup band. Yes, yeah. She played with them. Yeah. They played with her early yeah. on their yeah, career. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were her yeah. backup band. When they were first touring, they weren't the Stone Ponies, but after the Stone Ponies, when she was doing her solo stuff, they were her backup band, and they were, she lived in Laurel Canyon, too. Yeah. Everybody lived in Laurel Canyon, but Prisoner in Skies. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that song. Yes. Look that one up, man. That's a good one. Uh, makes no difference by the band. And Guy Clark, L.A. Freeway. L.A. Freeway is a song that Jerry Jeff Walker probably has the most notoriety for, but... I just, I just couldn't leave Guy Clark off the list when I saw him on that he had released an album that year because Guy Clark was probably the best songwriter of all the people I've talked about, with the exception of Dylan, maybe. I'll put him above Springsteen, even. And I think a lot of Springsteen. Oh, yeah. But uh, Guy Clark, as far as sitting down and being a poet and putting music to it. All right. Got any closing comments, Jerry? This is fun. This is, this is a great way to start it off. This is Think we ought to do this again sometime? I would be game. All right, Jerry. I'm in. I'm in. Let's Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Hey, thanks for hanging in there. You've been listening to episode number one of Three Drinks In, a musical podcast about whatever sneaks past our spiritual gatekeepers once we've started our third beverage. This week's guest, as my neighbor Jerry, was my friend Mark Scahill. Mark was enjoying the Capital Gold Lager from Confluence Brewing Company in Des Moines, and I was very much liking the Clockhouse Coffee Porter that had been recommended by our lovely waitress. Clockhouse is in Cedar Rapids. This episode was recorded on September 26, 2018, at the friendly confines of L. Bait Shop in beautiful downtown Des Moines, Iowa, and we thank them for their hospitality and great beer selection. Please be sure to tune in to the next episode of Three Drinks In, where my neighbor Jerry and I will sit and have a couple of drinks. Thanks a lot.